Today's episode of the RiderFlex podcast is sponsored by our friends at Colorado Startups. Their mission is to connect startups with needed capital and talent to build industry-changing companies in Colorado. They are the largest online community of founders in the state and a great resource for local entrepreneurs building a big company. On today's episode of the RiderFlex podcast, we're honored to have guest George Randall on the show again. He's from EF Overwatch, a specialized executive search firm and talent advisory that finds top-level military leaders for senior, executive, or other critical leadership positions. He's on the show to talk about his new book that he wrote with his buddy, Mike Sorelli. The book can be found on Amazon, The Talent War, How Special Operations and Great Organizations Win on Talent, releasing November 10th. My friend, George Randall on the Rider Flex podcast again. How you doing, George? I'm doing good. It's good to see you. Nice to chat with you. I really enjoyed our first conversation. I you know, we don't have the military thing in common, but I feel like we have a lot of other things in common when it comes to recruiting and candidates and dealing with clients and all the things you believe. So really, uh, I'm glad you're back on the show to talk about the new book, The Talent War, that you wrote with Mike Sorelli. Yeah, so, I appreciate you having me. I think we both have that masochistic gene that's kept us in the yeah, function for an extended period of time. <laughs> isn't, isn't that the truth? So you, uh, you know, you told the listeners about yourself last time personally, mm -hmm. but you know, let's give them another quick overview. Uh, just, you know, a real quick George personal story, um, some family stuff one more time and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, bring it up to modern day, current wife, children, where you're at, kind of just give us the personal overview mm -hmm. one more time. Go for it. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little hesitant. I'm thinking about what I want to say because so much of it gives away my age. And now <laughs> that you can see growing out this beard in Colorado, the gray coming in. I like uh, it. No, I, uh, I enlisted in the Army uh, back in the 80s, um, and I kind of got the leadership bug. And uh, after being enlisted for a short period of time and paying my way through school, I uh, became an officer. You know, I had um, a lot of non-commissioned officers around me that said, you know, you know, hey, George, if you're so smart, why don't you go be an officer? So I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, how hard could that be? <laughs> uh, I went off and did that. I was really, I fell backwards into good luck, and uh, which means I got stationed in Berlin in 1989. So I was surrounded by this phenomenal group of officers and enlisted mm -hmm. soldiers and non-commissioned officers. But I uh, was a platoon leader, executive officer, eventually back to the States. I did a deployment to Kenya and Somalia, came back to the States, company command, and then tours in uh, South America and Central America. And after command, kind of the, you know, the leadership opportunities ran out. So I thought, well, you know, I'll go try my hand in corporate America and um, didn't know what I didn't know. Didn't have a lot of resources to help me with the transition, um, but I you know, tried to work as hard as I could, found my way into, um, through a veteran recruiting firm. Uh, but the match really, really wasn't a good one. And eventually um, joined a consulting firm. And through family circumstance, I, I had to move back to Texas. And so they said, hey, would you like to be a resource manager? And I said, well, what's that? And they said, well, it's kind of like an internal recruiter. <laughs> and, you know, much like being an officer, I said, okay, how hard could that be? It gets me back to Texas, so I'll go do it. 
Um, and then people found out that I had some leadership skills from the military. So they gave me, I got into recruiting, picked up resource management or internal recruiting, then picked up HR. And it just really, I found out it was something I was very passionate about and it took off from there. Um, I really, you know, I ended up staying at this firm for about seven years, uh, went to another consulting firm, uh, built a number of veterans hiring programs. Um, and then my last couple jobs have been head of global talent acquisition for some pretty big firms. Uh, so right now I'm the uh, head of global talent acquisition vice president for Forcepoint, a Raytheon-owned uh, company, okay. a 3,000 person cybersecurity firm. And I advise uh, EF Overwatch, which is a premier senior leadership and executive veteran placement firm. Did you have any idea you were going, going to be in HR and recruiting when you first came out, came out of the military? I mean, did you know that was the path? <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I don't know if there's anybody on the planet that grows up saying, yeah, I want to be a recruiter. I want to go do that. <laughs> um, but what was, you know, really, it, it took me a little while to kind of catch on to the linkage. Okay. And what I enjoyed about being in the military was the teamwork and building teams. And then when okay. I was on the consulting side, I actually would try to hire people and it was extremely difficult. And so when I jumped over to the HR recruiting side, my mindset was really, you know what, I can do this better. I know what it's like to be on the business side. And I also know what it's like to build big teams and good teams and be able to evaluate talent. And so it, it clicked in my head and it's okay. been something I've been passionate about ever since. And you're at Raytheon now. So you're, you're there as head of global talent acquisition uh, and for, for Forcepoint. And yeah. you're, you're doing that while you're a strategic advisor for EF Overwatch. You're a busy guy. And, and we wrote the book. And so, uh, you know, you can see this, when I started this about 18 months ago, I think this was a lot darker and, uh, you know, and fortunately my kids are grown, which has given me a little bit, but, uh, I'm about 40 days away from being a grandfather for the second time. So life is pretty that? full about now. How about that? I know, so, I know. So married with one grandchild and two grown children then, right? Uh, well, I have three grown children and, um, the oldest gave us a, a grandson. He's a little over a year. And now my baby girl is, uh, as we would call a COVID baby is going to have one of those. Yeah. Gotcha. On her about, uh, yeah, they couldn't figure out that she was pregnant until after some of the restrictions lifted. Right. And she was able to go see a doctor and confirm it. But now she's due right about Thanksgiving with a baby boy. Congratulations. Are you Thanks. Papa? Are you Papa, Grandpa? What, what's your, what's, what do they call you? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's Pops. It's and Pops. it, it okay. became Pops after I struggled mightily to exercise my veto rights at many other nicknames they had picked out for me <laughs> that were not very complimentary. <laughs> We've settled on Pops and that's what I'm living with now. Isn't it interesting to get used to telling people that you're a grandparent? I found, cause I also have a granddaughter who is two years old and yeah, at first I was like, wow, this is weird telling people that I'm a, I'm a grandfather. I, I, it took me a while to get used to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, I think it was easy the first time because uh, my wife and I've been married, uh, you know, 15, 16 years. And so our, my stepson is the one that gave us the first grandchild. 
Gotcha. And he was a little bit older, but now it's my baby girl. And to me in my head, she's still 12 and I'm <laughs> still pushing her around on a bike or doing things. So it's, you know, it's one thing to tell people your grandparent. I can't even tell myself actually, um, because <laughs> it still just hasn't sunk in that my little girl is, is going to be a mother. Right. So how did you get involved with Mike Sorelli and EF Overwatch? Tell us, you know, one more time, how you guys connected, why you got involved and give us a, an overview on EF Overwatch today, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, um, I had read the book Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Fab and the New York Times bestseller. It was a huge proponent of the leadership principles in that book. And, it, and so it turned me on to the Jocko podcast. And I, I just for some reason was sitting out in the back listening to podcast 134 and Mike Sorelli came on. Uh, and it, it was the most compelling podcast that I, I think I've ever heard. Um, and Mike's got 10 or 11 combat deployments and most of them he can't even talk about due to the classified nature. And he started talking about this firm uh, to help place veterans called EF Overwatch. And I thought, well, you know what? I, I need to find an avenue to bring some senior veterans into cybersecurity. Okay. So I reached out to Mike literally that day. And Mike's like, and it was it was really in the infancy of EF Overwatch and said, hey, you're in Austin. I'm in Austin. Let's go meet for breakfast. So we met for breakfast and there was this, I don't know, it was just like that serendipitous moment where it was like, wow, wait, what you're doing, what I'm doing, those two things need to be combined. And with my military service and his, we just, I don't know, we became instant friends over breakfast. And I think it was literally the next week he said, you know, we could really use you as an advisor to help us get EF Overwatch off the ground. And EF Overwatch essentially is, it's a executive and senior leadership uh, veteran placement firm. Um, and the majority of our leaders come from the special operations and special operations related communities and people with some, you know, the, they come with the mindset of extreme ownership, um, they're some of the top 5% leaders in their field, and we are placing them in positions from COO to vice presidents to senior directors all across uh, the United States so far. And it, it's really, really taken off for us. So you're an advisor there. Uh, what's your day-to-day -day role look like? Are, do they call you up and say, hey, we, we're having a strategy meeting or, hey, can you look at this candidate or, Hey, what do you think about this client? What, how, how are you involved in quote day to day? Just curious. So there's, there's nothing that I don't do. Um, <laughs> I, I'm talking to them three or four times a week. And now that Mike and I've written the book, it's about twice a day. Um, gotcha. But there's two parts to it. Um, the, there are two parts and one, because of um, I had built the veterans hiring program at Hewlett Packard a few years ago, I've been teaching and coaching veterans on how to interview and how to make the transition. So in, ah. I help them deliver webinars and okay. transition training to these senior leaders. But additionally, because of my time and talent acquisition, I will help them out on client calls from time to time, helping okay. them diagnose kind of that, that fit for the senior leaders, which you know is extremely difficult sometimes. And it's, it's 
really an art form that takes several iterations to get right, to make sure that you're getting out of the client what they really, really want in a role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so they are a retained executive search firm, so to, seek, so to speak, that specializes in placing veterans specifically from special forces, but not necessarily that. Is that, is that accurate? Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. There's, there's a lot of uh, related services that support uh, the SEALs, the PJs, uh, MARSOC, the Marine Raiders, uh, the SEALs, uh, Army Special Forces. So we're looking at the leaders and evaluating their leadership and putting them through an assessment before they come into our program. But yes, retain search. Okay, I want to ask you about the assessments. But before I go there, so will you if if I don't know, if Target calls you and says, we want a new vice president of sales, but we don't, we don't care if they came from the military. Would you take on that assignment or do you just tell them, Hey, look, our, our specialty is, is recruiting veterans. That's where we have our connections. How, how would that conversation go? No, ours is just uh, strictly veterans. And, okay. you know, we have had a few um, with the successes of placing veterans, they'll usually come to us for a little bit more. And what we're now just starting to do is make partnerships with firms that we trust Mm -hmm. so that we can, you know, direct those companies to people that take talent as seriously as we do. And so we're continuing to kind of build that out as we go. Um, But I I do believe it's primarily veterans and and we let our partners do any of the additional work. Well, I think that's an opportunity for you for sure. I mean, you know, just everything I know about you and Mike and what you've built so far and, talking to you the first time and what you have in the book and listen to listening to your previous podcasts. I mean, you have a lot to offer a clients when it comes to retained search, probably way beyond even veterans. And yeah, if you partner with the right firms, I mean, you could, you could do all kinds of things uh, with EF Overwatch, you know, even beyond where it's at today. Um, that I thought about that earlier today when I was listening to some of your, your comments about how to assess candidates and, how to match them to companies. Talk to us about the, the, the process and how you identify character traits and, and, and how you're matching candidates to, to the right company. Just talk to us about how you guys go about that. If I, if I was a client, let's say I called you from, from our recruiting firm, mm-hmm. RiderFlex, and I said, I said, hey, I'm, I'm trying to recruit a CEO to take over RiderFlex because I want to work part-time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I want a former Special Forces uh, person to do that. What would that process look like if, if I called you and, and, and you know, asked you to find me somebody? Well, I don't think – so the client intake – and working with the clients and defining the role is not all that different than, you know, what you're doing or what other retained search firms are doing. Okay. Um, we're certainly digging in. The challenge that we generally come across is to make sure that they are focusing on leadership first and the character attributes versus pure experience, because obviously our candidates are not going to come with that baked in industry experience. Mm-hmm. So that side of the equation is not all that different uh, than other firms. Uh, Of course, Mike and I can certainly, we're leveraging the things that we put in the book, which I I know we'll talk about. On the candidate side, we get a lot of candidates and and we do, you know, there's a couple things that we do. Number one is we're making sure that we've evaluated their background, their military assignments, 
that those military assignments have continually been um, larger, bigger, greater responsibility, uh, greater challenges. We do a lot of reference checking because obviously in the special operations community, reputation is everything. And, and there's even a bell curve among special operators. And we want to make sure that we're operating at the long end of that tail versus right in the center of the bell curve. Okay. We also have a couple things. Um, one of our co-authors on the book, Dr. Josh Cotton, has uh, created what's called the Elite Performance Indicator. Okay. And it's, it's not a whole lot different. Well, uh, you know, when you get into the details, there's a little bit of difference, but theoretically and on the surface, diff it's not much different from a Hogan or a DISC assessment, but his criteria and his algorithms are based on all the things that he learned assess assessing special operations candidates. So we can see levels of drive, we can see levels of team ability, um, emotional intelligence, effective intelligence, resiliency, we can see more of the things that we determine critical and predictive to future success. So once we find those, then it's a matter of matching the personality, the background, and some of the related experiences. Because some of the, the leadership in the military isn't so far different than what the companies are asking us for, but we there's still a certain amount of uh, you know, client fit that you want to get right. And then we will be presenting, you know, the top three or four candidates that we think match that role. And are there, there are nine key attributes, I think, right in the book do you, that you talk about? We do. And, and so I want to, you know, there's a ton of attributes. And, and what we had done is we looked at, um, you know, the Air Force Special Operations, the Navy, the Army, the Marine Corps, we looked at all of those and there's a certain amount of overlap to them, but going down them one by one, it's drive, resiliency, adaptability, humility, integrity, effective intelligence, team ability, curiosity, and emotional strength. And we found that those things covered the entirety of the special operations for character attributes. Now, not each person doesn't have a 10 on a scale of one to 10 in each one of those. Uh, but they're going to rate higher, but they have to have a certain degree, a certain level of all of those for us to be working with them or for them to be successful in special operations and successful in corporate America. And are you judging those based on a survey you're giving them, a test or references or their past experiences or all of that combined? All of the above. All of the above. Okay. Okay. Very good. All right. Um, what, tell me, tell me this. What's the most frustrating part with the client piece and the discovery of what they're looking for and trying to pin them down to, to set clear expectations ahead of time? Talk to me about that. I, 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 can almost, I can almost guess that you guys have the candidate part just nailed, right? Like that part I'm sure mm -hmm. is completely nailed down. I'm not saying you don't have the client part nailed down, but I just know it can be, you got all these processes to identify the right candidate and then the client is over here changing their mind every week about what they want. And then, you know, like, yeah, I know I said this, but now I want that. How, how, what's the magic to pinning down the client on what they really want? I, you know, I, one of the things that we go to great pains in this book is that no process is perfect and we're not perfect. Okay. If we get close to the word magic, it's, when we dig into the clients, making sure that it's, that they're looking for leadership first, because Everybody seems to be fascinated with veterans. Everybody wants to bring veterans into their company. So it, it's not a matter of attracting those clients. That is, doesn't seem to be an issue. 
but it's even when they come to us, it's making sure that they see that leadership is the solution to all of the problems that they have. And, you know, Jock Willing says that every problem at its core is a leadership problem. If we can nail down a client and get them focused on leadership attributes, then we tend to do very well. Where we have some challenges is they still default to industry experience. Mm. And we have to make sure that we vet that really, really right. And, you know, there's one of these phrases, and I, I couldn't wait to share it with you because I thought it was just absolute brilliance. We interviewed this guy. Um, he's now the vice president of player uh, development for the Indianapolis Colts. And he, he was a former officer in the U.S. Army Special Forces, the Green Berets. And he redid the assessment. He came up with this phrase that I, I'm going to plagiarize from now until I die, which is um, performance isn't necessarily portable. Meaning just because you've performed or you have industry experience, it doesn't necessarily make it predictive in your next environment, uh, your next environmental circumstance. Mm -hmm. Now, is it, is it something to look for? Absolutely. But companies tend to over rotate and say, well, if they've been successful in a similar job over here, they're going to be similar in our environment. And that's not necessarily true. And it takes them away from looking at the leadership and the character attributes, which is what we always try to bring them around to look at. How do you, how do you know whether or not those attributes are going to result in a specific behavior? Let me give you an example. I was just talking to my wife about mm -hmm. this. My wife is, uh, is, is in management in retail and mm -hmm. And she said, you know, it's really interesting. We try to put these, these management candidates through all these written tests so that we can figure out how they're going to behave in a certain moment or, mm -hmm. or whatever, what, what decisions they'll make if they're being challenged in a certain moment. She says, but the problem is, unless you're on the sales floor in the environment, dealing with the fact that Mary had a bad day and this other thing's going on and there's a crying baby over here and this and that and all these other elements around you in the moment, it's a hell of a lot different than on paper. So how do you, how do you yeah. figure out whether or not those attributes are going to turn into specific behaviors in the moment? How do you know for candidates? Well, I don't think any, I don't think anybody knows with a level of certainty, but the character attributes tend to be more predictive of success than performance or other more objective okay. requirements. Meaning okay. um, a person that has it, let me give you the most basic example. The person that you can evaluate or test or interview for integrity, meaning you've presented them with a number of ethical or okay. challenging situations or asked them to mm -hmm. uh, explain a situation where they're, they've had to put their integrity on the line and, mm -hmm. and be truthful yep. and where that was a conflict and how they resolved it. In integrity is going to be integrity in every single environment. Drive is going to be drive in every single environment, meaning okay. if the environment changes, that person that has that inherent drive, that has integrity, that has what we call team ability, those things will always find their way in crisis or under stress to the forefront. They're baked into that person. And if you can get the right questions in the interview or you can get the right evaluation tool, those characteristics are what's going to come out in it's their default position. It's, it's the, what do you call it? Uh, when you say somebody's like unconsciously competent, mm -hmm. those are the things that they're relying on. They don't think to act with integrity. They don't think to act with drive. They don't 
think to put the team first. It just occurs to them as their natural state of being. When you're talking to a client and you're trying to understand what they're looking for, are there, are, are there other things that you do in your process with them? You mentioned it wasn't much different than other firms, but I'm guessing that you put them through different types of questions to pin them down. Can you talk a little bit more about that? The reason I want to dive in there, George, is because that's the most frustrating part for us at RiderFlex is, is we'll visit with the executive team. They'll tell us what they want or what they think Mm -hmm. they want, what they think they want. (laughs) And then we'll, and they'll visit with the, then we'll visit with the hiring manager and they say a few other things. And then we end up dealing with the human resource department who's pissed off that the recruiting firm is involved in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. I I just want you to talk a little bit more about how you manage the client piece. If you don't mind that, that part fascinates me. Well, one of the things that I, I personally dig into and that we dig into in some form or fashion when we're asking about leadership we may ask that individual who sought us out, what is your biggest leadership challenge? Because I want to see how introspective they are from the get-go. Mm. I want to see a level of authenticity from that. Additionally, I'll start asking about other members of the team. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to tell them, look, I'll sign an NDA. This is between us. Yeah. But how would you evaluate on a scale of 1 to 10 your CLO? or a vice president of this department, I'm going to ask them to evaluate the leadership challenges and strengths of other people on the team. So it gives me a really good insight as to how they're viewing leadership as a whole and how they're looking at other people. And so from that, you know, and when I start asking those questions, just much like you would, we start to glean most of the stuff from what we're not hearing. (laughs) (laughs) And and so we go, okay. Um, And we can tell if somebody's honestly evaluating, we can tell if somebody's got ego into, oh, I want somebody that's going to be less than me, more than me, or somebody, or if we run into the ideal client, who's like, I want an A player who's going to lift us all. And here's where I think we're missing. And we just talked to one the other day and he said, you know, we, we've had a family owned business and the leadership that we've learned is on our own and we need an outside view. And immediately, you know that you've got kind of that winning client who's going to be listening to those leadership attributes. But I try to dig into how they're evaluating their top leadership problems, their top management problems, and the opportunities in any particular department where they're going to put this role. Mm. How about the HR uh, piece where, you know, the human resources quite often, and by the way, apologies to all my HR friends right, you know, right up front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you know they got their own process and they're, they're not really crazy about the fact that now the ceo's decided to use an outside service and so now they're kind of you know blocking you so to speak or making it messy how do you handle that situation well the first thing that i'm going to do especially with my expertise is in my in my expertise my experience is everything that we do is about relationships And so even with the HR department, I want to build a solid relationship because most of the stuff that we do, we don't want to be one and done. I want to be a tool and a resource for the HR department. And it starts with me building the appropriate relationship. I'm not there to trump them. I'm an added resource for them that the CEO or COO or some executive chose, but I realize they're the gatekeepers. They're the people that make things go round. 
and I want to be able to help them. And so it may just be on the search and I may offer them some additional advice and help as to how to cultivate this market, how to improve their team. But I want to be able to do something for that HR department because as we talk about in the book, you know, HR can be the most valuable and most strategic function in a company. But in many cases, the leadership or HR may not know how that's to occur. Mm. So uh, I always take those opportunities to build that relationship, to share that experience and, and, to, and to work with them as best that I can um, because they're so critical to everything we do. And with EF Overwatch, we follow up with those candidates. Great. So we, if we place a candidate, we're going to follow up at 30, 60, 90. We'll follow up at a year. But I also want to follow up with the HR department. Um, those are my peers. Those are my colleagues. And, and I have great empathy for their situation. And I just want to have the best relationship that I possibly can and, and do all that I can, because it's not about me. It's about how do we get a great leader for the company? And we all have a role in that. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. I want to ask you, before we get into the book, I want to ask you about contingency firms or contingency staffing agency versus versus you know retained executive search firms um for the listeners who may not know the difference maybe you can give a brief you know overview on the difference between the two and then can you talk about you know why why ceos in some companies are attracted to this contingency offering uh that i think is super dangerous so anyway maybe a description of the two and then and then uh Go into it a little bit. <laughs> well, certainly the retained search, the easy way to say it is that, you know, the company has skin in the game and you have a partnership. And there is something very, very concrete and something very impactful that you're both trying to find and accomplish together to better that company and to strengthen your relationship. Contingency searches, um, for me, and, and, and I'm definitely biased about this. I think that there's a place for contingency for RPOs and things like that. I, I certainly do, but they should be a tool. They should be a partner to your talent acquisition and HR teams. A lot of the companies out there, um, you know, it's, it's spray and pray. They're going to yeah. throw resumes at you. Um, you know, they're advertising on cost. Um, and anytime you're advertising on cost when it comes to talent, that should be a red flag to anybody at that point. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we, we go into that with CEOs. It's like, you know, if are you trying to nickel and dime your talent, the most important thing that drives your revenue, your product, your service, everything you do, you're going to go for the most cost-effective solution here. You want to walk me through the rationale behind that one? Uh, I say it much nicer. And and so there are some great firms out there, and I've partnered with a number of them because there's times for my talent acquisition team where we may get something that was not in the hiring plan, and we have to stand up a new facility for growth. And there's some great partners out there where you say, hey, you're going to augment what we do. And mm. I think that's the best way to use outside partners as to augment your talent acquisition team. Mm. But uh, I, you know, since I, I'll give you a great example. Since uh, we launched this book and we've been putting videos up on LinkedIn, rough guess is 1,500 vendors have reached out to me to tell me how to get best talent for my company. That's fantastic. And, and the, the, the tagline's all still the same. Oh, you know, we great talent, low cost. 
<laughs> okay, wait till you read the book, and you'll you'll know what my answer is to that. <laughs> so, by the way, great job on the LinkedIn videos and some of the marketing you guys are doing for the book. That's a good segue. Yeah, I love, uh, I love, uh, I can't remember the guy you, you used for the videos, but you and Mike and some of the short clips on LinkedIn, really good stuff, man. Good stuff you guys are putting out there. Yeah, he's, I know. And, and so I, I have to put this in there to humble him. So Rich Cardona, and he has a partner, Eliza, that do some amazing work. But he's a former Marine helo pilot. Uh-huh. And so Mike was a Marine and then a Navy SEAL. And now I'm going to work with another Marine. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I'm really having to read outside material to make sure that I stay sharp and stuff like that. Having to work with the work with them. Uh, you guys you have to humble that. those guys. You absolutely have to humble them, but they are rich Cardona and his team have been, um, you know, it, exceptional doesn't even quite cover it. They are just really top professionals and absolutely brilliant and insightful at what they do every single day. Yeah, it's good stuff. By the way, I, I, I stole a line, I think, from you or Mike, or maybe it was both of you. Humbly confident. Hum, humbly confident. I use it all the time now. <laughs> I think Mike was talking about that. Um, so let's, this is a good segue into the book. So you meet Mike at this coffee shop. You're in HR and talent acquisition. You're thinking, wow, okay, you're, if you're going to place former, you know, special forces guys, I could use some of that talent. Plus, I'm interested in what you're doing. You, you have this relationship. He makes you a strategic advisor to EF Overwatch. You guys are, you know, the company's moving along. You're helping them as much as you can. Uh, and then at some point, either you or Mike say, hey, let's write a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's Mike. It's, it's actually Mike. So um, my wife, um, had always encouraged me to write a book with, um, you know, just backing up a little bit. It was interesting. I, I, I owe a great deal of credit to Tracy Keogh, Gemma Johns, and a Caroline Atherton who, and Mitch Schwartz, who gave me an opportunity at HP. And in one of my years there, I hired 23,800 people. And so from that, my other experiences, my wife wanted me to write about that. And I'm like, well, you know, there's kind of a, there's a glut of books out there on recruiting. And so I'd always kept it in the back of my head, but I met Mike. And the more that we started to evolve EF Overwatch, we realized that there were so many problems that we were solving. And Mike just one night called me up and says, we've got to write a book about this. And he says, I have some ideas. And, and he was talking about special operations assessment selection. And I said, well, why don't we combine his 20 years with my 20 years find all of the synergies in those two and write a book about what makes special operations so special and how do they find these great people and let's adapt that to the corporate world. And, and it's just one of those serendipitous moments. Thank God Mike had the idea. Um, and it just, you, they told us it was going to be, I think two and a half years before we could do it. But if you, if you've ever worked with Mike, he works at Mach 2 with his ass on fire all the time. <laughs> and he is just, he's absolutely driven. You really have to bring your A game working with Mike. But we clicked. We operated writing the book with the idea of what's called Best Idea Wins. It wasn't about okay. either one of okay. us and whose 20 years came up. And we, we were uh, in the edits at about 13, 14 months. What was the original objective besides helping people and, and maybe and maybe making some money on it what 
what what's the goal is the goal to um improve recruiting agencies is the goal to improve hiring managers um talk to me about the overall objective we there were a bunch of different we didn't have one clear one but we did want to write something that highlighted veterans and the leadership that they bring to the table okay and as we were going through that we realized that we came up kind of with this tagline or lead into the book that your most the only competitive advantage that you can hope to maintain as a company is your people and from there kind of the goals were to make sure that that senior leaders understood having a talent mindset was the most important thing they could do for their company and part of having that talent mindset was making sure that your HR and your talent acquisition were not mechanical overhead functions, that they were strategic talent partners and helping you go to the market to find the best talent to propel your company. Mm. So it came out helping veterans, helping HR and helping, you know what, probably a better way to say it is, uh, and we put it in the book, the most powerful thing in the United States is not the U.S. military, it's the U.S. economy. And so we thought we had an opportunity to, to continue to kind of serve, power the U.S. economy in a certain way, provide something back, and help veterans at the same time. Mm. If, if somebody reads the book tomorrow, well, it launches when? November 20th? November 10th, the United States Marine Corps birthday and the day before Veterans Day. Oh, awesome. And you can pre-order it right now on Amazon. Is that correct? Yeah. Kindle, hardback, uh, paperback. The audiobook should be in about a week. Jocko Willink uh, was very, very gracious and did the foreword for our book. And he's written Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership. And he has his, uh, Mike recorded five chapters. I recorded five chapters. And Jocko did the foreword. The Talent War, How Special Operations and Great Organizations Win on Talent. You can look that up on Amazon. If, if you were to chat with somebody right after they finish the book, what are you hoping they get out of it? What are two or three things you hope they just mention or, or key takeaways? Number one is that talent is your, your only true competitive advantage and that you have to have a talent mindset in today's rapidly changing economy, market conditions, COVID popped into us. The only thing that gets you through these things is having a talent mindset, acquiring, growing, leading, coaching, mentoring, the best talent. Number two, I, from my perspective, and I know Mike, now that he's been in this industry a while, holds the same belief, I hope that people walk out of this going, human resources is not an administrative function. It is your strategic partner in driving your company forward because it's not about the hardware, it's not about your product, it's not about your service, it's about the people that deliver all of those things. Mm. And we hope that, and then the last thing is that they can see, because Mike and I wrote it humbly confident, but we also had to kind of, we had to display on a number of occasions where we've made our own mistakes. And so we hope people kind of learn from those as they approach talent. Um, and one last thing, and, and that is you can't see talent. You have to have a process that reveals it. Oof. And it has to be a process that's standardized that's repetitive, that your A players contribute to, and that you evaluate continuously to make sure. And then, well, maybe the last point is, and I made this on a video, this is the talent war doesn't end. 
you can't do this for a year and a half or two years and think and declare victory. It's continuous. People grow, people move on, people move on to other opportunities. They retire, they change industries. It's a constant battle that your company needs to be fighting to stay dominant and to win. You really highlight that throughout the book, right? You talk about, hey, here are some some key attributes for candidates and and how to try to evaluate them. And hey, you company, you need to have a process, and these are the things you should do. And mm-hmm. if these two if these two things are married, you know, you have a much better chance of of having a better quality team overall. I I, I almost sense I almost sense that um, you and Mike. You, it almost feels like you started with, hey, we're going to put former veteran special forces talent into executive positions, into companies. We know people, we know, not, we know how to assess them, we can fit them into companies and, mm-hmm. and, and we can do this. And then, and, it, and it's slowly growing into this overall advice and wisdom for candidate selection and company process in hiring beyond just special forces. We hope, (laughs) we hope, Uh, we we hope, but it's, um, it's the, how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time (laughs) Um, and, and, and trying to make, make sure that we stay true to, you know, helping veterans, helping companies, and we're starting to get into the advisory piece uh, more and more. Uh, we've been invited to speak with a bunch of different groups. Uh, so we hope that, that that piece takes off because we'd like to share our successes, but we'd also like to share our mistakes. Um, we take great pains in this book to tell you that no process is foolproof, and the special operations even gets it wrong from time to time, but they always go back and look at where they went wrong and how do they improve on the next iteration. And uh, that's another thing we'd like to be able to do is help companies stop stumbling through the talent minefield and, and make a difference um, and, and start, you know, it's like investing. Once you invest in that talent mindset, it just exponentially grows throughout your company. It's so true. I mean, you're going to win if you surround yourself with the right people. I mean, assuming you have a decent product idea or a decent service, mm-hmm. you know, even if you have a mediocre product, if you have great talent, you're probably going to make it. <laughs> yeah, you are. And, you know, there's times where I think we've all done this, where we may not have the highest quality product, but the company that we're working with, their company, their service Mm-hmm. with their product is exceptional. Mm-hmm. And they're, so their people are making the difference and compensating while they continue to get better with their particular product. Uh, I don't think that there's anything that we enjoy more than working with other good people that are, have the ability to, to team with you, whether that's something I'm buying or a service I'm receiving. Good talent shows in so many different ways. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. So you've uh, edged into entrepreneurship and now you're an author as well. Two things that uh, probably weren't <laughs> on your list before. <laughs> uh, you know, any, um, any quick advice for others thinking about writing a book? Anything you want to tell them real quick? A couple of tips you've learned early on here? Uh, well, writing the book seemed to be the easy part. The uh, PR work seems to be the all-encompassing part of it. <laughs> Um, I, you know, the thing that, that made Mike and I really, really successful and a lot of people are challenged to do something with more than one author. And so my first tip, if you're going to have more than one author, 
is to operate like Mike and I did, which is the best idea wins. All we care about is making the point so that it anchors with our readers. And if I had the best words, then Mike went with what I wanted. If Mike had a good spin on my words, I'm like, yeah, let's go with that. Because it's about, you've got to contribute something. Don't, don't write a book because you're trying to make money. That's not where it should be. It should be about improving or helping or benefiting somebody else. Right. And take your ego out of the process would be a huge tip to give to people. Mm -hmm. How about the entrepreneur uh, stuff? So you're, you know, you, you have this full-time job, but you're part of EF, EF Overwatch. I don't know if you want to answer this on the podcast or not, but you know, you're, you're obviously being pulled in different directions now and EF Overwatch can probably only grow if you're doing more and more and more. Yeah. So you're probably challenged constantly. What, what's the plan for George there? Uh, well, there isn't a clear cut plan where, you know, my focus is getting to November 10th and the release date of the book, but okay. a shout out to something that's interesting is on the back cover of our book, the number one blurb came from the CEO of our company. Okay. And I have had, I have had the backing of my CHRO, Lori O'Brien, who is, uh, there aren't enough good words that I could ever describe right. for the boss that I have. Very good. Uh, my partner, Karen Clark, who's the head of HR business partners, but our chief marketing officer, our chief, chief legal officer, they have all been super supportive about me helping veterans through EF Overwatch in writing this book. Awesome. And I, not too many people will ever have that luxury, that's, but that's, that's kind of the selfless um, teamwork that you see at this company at force point. And so mm, mm, we'll see what the future brings. Um, but I'm very privileged to work for some very, very great leaders at force point. And I falling into the job as the vice president of global town acquisition at force point was a gift. And I always want to earn my keep with those guys and they've supported me all the way. Very nice. It's wonderful to have that. So for the listeners, you know, if, if you're a hiring manager, an executive, a recruiter, you know, an executive at a recruiting firm, the talent war, uh, encourage you to go to Amazon and pre-order your copy. Now, I think it's, it's great for both sides, right? Whether, whether you're on the candidate side or the, or the client side, mm -hmm. there's great, great information in there for both and some awesome stories, uh, that, that you and Mike go into yeah. as well. Some, some truly, uh, inspirational stuff in there that you guys share, which is, which is wonderful. So, George, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I, this is just the best place to be. And I'm so grateful to, to come back a second time. And uh, this is a topic you and I both love. And we could talk about it for hours and hours and hours. And one of these days, we'll have to do something on, you know, the funny things that we found in the profession, because that could probably <laughs> last a few hours. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, yes, it sure could. You know, at RiderFlex, we video record our candidate interviews, which are private, of course, but there are times when I, I wish I could get the candidate to sign a release form so we could start like a comedy channel or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, in in all fairness to candidates, that goes for the hiring managers too. I've had That's true. You entertain entertain me with some questions that, like, okay, where did that come from? And why are we asking that one? It's so true. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. If you're listening on YouTube. Don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you can be notified when we release a new episode. 
Our show features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.